0: I'm recording early, so this is for you, Ben. Welcome to 4th Time's the Charm, the only podcast where every week is a brand new concept. I am your director, Matt, and I am joined by your producer, Ben. Ben, how are you doing
1: today? Matt, I'm doing shiggity, shiggity, shwaggity. How are you doing on this fine evening? 4th Time's the Charm, episode number 52. As Here of folks, this week, we, call dead we have... 52 I don't even weeks. know if Ben can hear me right now. What? Yeah, I, I'm responding to you. Oh, I'm on push to talk. Oh, no, I responded Son to of all that. Son of a bitch.
0: That. Wow, I'm already recording.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I know what you're doing. I responded I- to you. I sold it the whole time. You can't Fuck. faze me, bitch.
0: God, I why didn't even know. All I got was silence.
1: Episode sitting... 52 of Fourth Time's Woo! the Charm. We have Let's made it go! to 52 full weeks, a full calendar year. It doesn't quite line up to like our one year anniversary because... This podcast has lost it so long. We've become the other podcast we made years ago. Yeah, yeah, we really did. I So now that we're at 52 weeks, Matt... Is it time we change fourth times the charm from the only where every week is a yeah, brand new concept? Can we please? Oh my god, Terrence calling me. Okay, well, well one, one, while, while you're talking moment, to please. your wife, hello. I'll just I'll just vamp here for a sec. I hope he keeps the audio in. Um, that was me. I'm 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 wondering I'm gonna, what our Ben and new, I start recording. Uh, catchphrase. But I'm currently be. So recording mine. Every of this week is a brand new concept. Where I love you. By every week, I'm back, man. What were you saying? 52 I, I, I'm, I'm, tra- weeks. I'm trying. I, th- to th- I agree. I'm trying I think, to think we might of a of a new of a new opening phrase. Where Four, every week is a brand to Trump, new concept. Bring
0: you the deepest and niches media across the world, yeah. from films to music to media and everything in between. We are the podcast that brings you the lost, forgotten, and unknown sources of content
1: from across the world. That's too much, that, man that's too a, much that's, i know way you pare
0: much. it down you're my editor you've been editing my paper since my freshman year of college
1: well i i need um i need a word that starts with the letter n nefarious no, uh, notorious um uh welcome to fourth times the charm neological. where niche is neat
0: yeah, there we go. What, that's where, that's where, lame where, as fuck.
1: Where niche is near what about where niche is nice?
0: No, niche is nice is all I typed in N words into Google. I I God. wouldn't I would <laughs> not do that, Matt. Do not do that. Words that start with N. There we go. Yikes! You know, I recently I recently um all right, I'll give I'll give context to our listeners. Um, Israel recently tested a brand new anti-aircraft laser that, um, is hyper cheap, hyper efficient, and can be installed onto commercial jets. And I wanted to share the article I read about it with a friend of mine. (laughs) Okay. And in, and in my, in my state at the moment, I typed in Israeli space laser. And let me tell you the amount, the amount of articles I read that started with the expression Jihad. Jihad. Was insurmountably. All right. So
1: we're going to move present. off from this topic. Welcome to episode right, 57. Seven letter, of seven letter words times the charm where. Notable? Niche, is niche and niche. notable. No, niche niche is notable. Where we are niche and notable.
0: Yeah, niche and notable. I think that fits we're, we're, us. My we're niche my, is my, notable.
1: I kind of like my, that.
0: My jujitsu coach said we exclusively. He said you should listen to Matt's podcast where they talk about shitty movies. <laughs> i don't worry i very aggressively said not all of them are shitty and then he kind of went are you sure? yeah we fucking yeah. review them yeah that's the Knocking, whole point knocking's even a good fucking movie and that was like the shittiest movie we've watched recently
1: he hasn't seen the hal masonberg cut i yelled at him about mr about 1995's mr vampire I mean, even 2359 was great, which I liked more Every... than Mr. Vampire. I'm just saying. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Holy shit. Fucking
0: call out to Monty yeah. here. Ben coming in with the... Did you have a uh, phrase of the week last week for No, because I didn't
1: know who the biggest fan was. And I had like four hours to get that episode up. Did you listen to it, Matt? What'd you think? I listened to a portion of it and it was fantastic.
0: Um, How I much think... is a portion of it, Matt? 15 minutes Our biggest fan this week is one of our longest lasting biggest fans. It is Brennan or Brennan Spinney on on Instagram and he said no passcode for this week week's hot potty but I listened and I will I will reiterate the fact that the last time I heard from Mason, was his was him absolutely shit talking, uh, John and his inability. And you want to know what else, Ben? I have heard from yet another person claiming that John's performance in fifty uh, around the world in fifty questions was subpar. I have had two separate individuals come to me and, and, and indicate that John's performance was you know, almost
1: disappointing. Matt, I, I spent a lot of effort putting that episode together. You should at least listen to it. If I if I recorded an hour-long episode, are you telling
0: me you would listen to it? Yeah, that's the I point. Ben, you listen to our own podcast?
1: Yes, if we don't Will listen you edit to it. That it? doesn't count. No, like afterwards.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do too, but it feels weird.
1: I only like Apparently listening to our not. podcast when I'm on it. I like listening to our podcast when I'm on it. This is this is like the most bullshit thing you've ever told me, Matt. This right here. That I,
0: that I like our podcast when I'm on it? That seems pretty fucking accurate. This is... Okay, let, me, let me open up Spotify. Let me see
1: where I left off. Matt, last week's episode was like a prelude to this week's episode.
0: I, I did actually get to 33 minutes into the podcast, but I think I fell asleep.
1: I'm like...
0: Are you chastened? Man, I'm like. Are you? Are you? Are you necromatically? I'm looking at list of n words. I'm. I am. Uh. Are you experiencing neo hypo- hypothesis?
1: I think you're saying that wrong. I don't know what the word I, is, but I know you're saying it wrong. It seems
0: like it looks. It looks visually like neo hypothesis.
1: All right. Well, finally, after a month of delay. I finally give to you the first episode and what I hope will be a magnum opus of mine. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time we go into the Russo Dome. Meow, 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 meow. That's right, everybody. Welcome, bro, to Russo Mania, where we take a look at Vince Russo's second and most notable run in many ways as the head booker of World Championship Wrestling in the summer into the early fall of 2000. From April 10, 2000 up until about, I think it's October 8, 2000, Vince Russo was the head uh, writer, and one of the premier on-screen talents on World Championship Wrestling's program. And what followed, under his leadership and on-screen authority figure role, is what many people dub some of the most infamous moments in pro wrestling history. Matt, what is your knowledge of WCW, especially in this time period?
0: In this time period, it's it's fairly limited to what I've seen on television. Um, well, not necessarily to what I've seen on television, but what you have specifically showing me. Um, I became a huge WWE fan and approximately like two thousand and two was really when my my passion for WWE was at its height.
1: So you started um, watching right when it got bad.
0: Yeah when when was the WrestleMania in Chicago?
1: Uh, that was t- 2006.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, that, that lines up. So, about 2002 to 2000, uh, about 2000 to 2002, I was a huge WWE fan. And at the time, and up until I really knew Ben very well, my knowledge of WCW came from the very unhealthy and, and arguably weird man who worked at my local blockbuster, who told me that WCW was an inferior product run by psychopaths. And before I came into my own and would have taken that as a compliment for the product, um, I took it as a condemnation. So my, my real deep understanding of this move of this time period in history is exclusively based around the film ready to rumble. And I went into this, this week's uh, research anticipating that my knowledge and, sense of ambiance from the fantastic film ready to rumble was going to be misleading for the tone of modern wcw and boy was i wrong because it's literally like the exact same people who wrote that movie were writing the current live television programming
1: Honestly, Ready to Rumble in many ways feels a bit slower and more focused. Um, Ready than... to
0: Rumble is the improved version of what we will discuss today. So,
1: the arc of Russo-mania is... Yeah,
0: and Russo's, be... Russo's an infamous... For those who don't know, Russo is like one of the most infamous writing and creative figures in wrestling. Well, if you everyone think, who if you listened wanna...
1: to last week's podcast would know about him. Yeah, well, even I didn't listen to that. So people need a refresher. I was really proud of what I put together in that short time it was frame, good. Matt. The
0: first, hey, the beginning, what I listened to was great.
1: Anyway, so the thrust of Russo Mania here, this is like my pro wrestling comfort food. I was like four or five years old around this time. So I grew up like this are, are some of my biggest foundational memories are going to WCW events at this time period and watching these shows. Uh, Vince Russo was originally the head writer of Raw Magazine, which was an alternative WWF magazine in the late '90s that was a lot more insidery. Break the Fourth Wally. Uh, Russo parlayed that into working on the WWF creative writing team in the late '90s, around I think '97 is when he really started being added to the team, maybe even as early as 96. Um, from there, he essentially supplanted Jim Cornette, the more traditional booker uh, of Sh- pro worse wrestling. booker, you mean? And Russo developed essentially a new style of booking that was heavily informed from the likes of Jerry Springer. Vince Russo has said multiple times that when he was booking Monday Night Raw, he would have Jerry Springer on in the background. um, And that's where him and his writing partner, Ed Ferrara would put the shows together. Vince Russo's disturbing amount of sense. Yeah. Vince Russo's whole outlook on pro wrestling is it's a television show, right? Yep. And so yeah, for it... Vince Russo, he doesn't value the quality of the wrestling as much as storytelling and short bursts and big wow moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have flanderized Russo's work from uh, the time after he left WWF, so his WCW run and his TN run, and run TNA run i i think people nowadays
0: what when was he writing in tna
1: so vince russo left wwf in the early fall i believe of 1999 because they wanted him to write smackdown and according to russo when he asked vince what he was supposed to do about his kids vince told him to hire a nanny he's paid enough to afford one of those and russo was like what a savage that's bullshit and he took a high dollar uh offer from wcw who had just sent eric bischoff home following crumbling ratings and increasingly erratic business decisions in 2000 in uh, 1999 vince russo would then book wcw himself for approximately three months before he was replaced as head booker by uh, Kevin Sullivan as well as a writing team. And then following about a six-month period of heads changing and that role, Vince Russo would take up the head booking role once again in April 2000, also partnered with, in a uh, bigger mindset sort of way, Eric Bischoff, who returned to the job. This partnership would last... Uh, well, it would not last throughout Russo's entire tenure, but Russo's tenure would end in the fall of 2000. And then from there until WCW's demise, it would be booked by once again, a booking committee of several different people. Um, Russo would have a cup of coffee. And by that, I mean, like he would show up to two meetings at the then name change WWE, and I believe two thousand two, that didn't work out. He then worked off and on with TNA, and infamously is um was right at the heart of a matter where their uh where TNA's TV deal with Spike uh got canned, uh, and some people attribute that to the fact that they specifically told TNA not to hire. Uh, Vince Russo, and then Vince Russo accidentally sent an internal company memo about booking plans to someone who worked at Pro Wrestling Insider instead of in what, Mike Tanay. And what year is this? That was like 2012,
0: 2013. Okay, so I I was one of those people who who, with a passion, watched TNA up until about 2009. So how much Russo did I get? I think so I, didn't know. So I don't I, I didn't, know I, I know no a lot idea less
1: about the creative TNA, world. but okay. I think he was at least partially booking the show around like two thousand seven to maybe two thousand nine ish, and then Hogan comes in. Okay, so I dumped I jumped out right before Hogan came in. Yeah.
0: So I got so okay, so based so to increase now my lore and enjoyment of Vince Russo, that was one of my favorite periods of TNA. I remember watching a young like young Samoa Joe, I remember Abyss, Eugene, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, all of these guys who in retrospect became these predominant figures in modern day pro wrestling. In like 2006 to about 2009, I every week watched TNA on Spike. Yeah. So I And I li- I liked TNA more than WWE at for a while.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to take a chance with this podcast to, unlike what most people do nowadays, I want to go show by show, and I want to see what Vince Russo was really going for and if he was really on the ball. Because even Vince Russo will say there was a lot working against him in WCW, a lot of interior politics, a lot of issues at hand, Um, and he says that he really didn't get to have... The run he was looking for. But similar to like a Hal Masonberg with Clive Barker's The Plague, you can see the good that's (laughs) sprinkled throughout. And so I wanted to take today's episode to take our first jump. Look at the first two shows under Vince Russo's regime. The April 10th WCW Nitro and the April 12th Wednesday Night Thunder Taping and i want us to start to get an idea here for how much of russo's run was successful how much of it wasn't is he uh is he looked at too unfavorably in today and i mm. think he is i said on the last episode i think that vince russo i, I know you definitely did and, and vince russo in many ways, is one of the few auteurs of pro wrestling. Vince McMahon, if you talk about booking a wrestling company, Vince McMahon, big white meat baby face goes over strong. Hulk Hogan, John Cena, Steve Austin, you know, it could be Cody Rhodes coming up next. That's how Vince McMahon's playbook runs. And if you watch it and you know that it's Vince McMahon, if you look at Paul Heyman, it's it's weird backstage segments, quick splicing, hiding weaknesses of the wrestlers, everyone's in very gimmicky things, uh yeah. nearly exploitative like... but it really gets the most out of each performer, right? That's Paul Haynes. Yeah, Vince Russo is car crash Jerry Springer on crack.
0: No, Vince Russo is 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 a type of person who if was if he was a modern ex, if he was an executive in the reality TV world he would have been one of the great most successful people of all time
1: yeah i he, think that's also based true based on
0: based on the limited like from what i've seen in these episodes that we're going to talk about today and from the little bit that ben's exposed me to i don't think there's any person in wrestling who understood how to make a actual television show quite like vince russo Because Vince McMahon's flavor feels like its own kind of genre. Um, Even the ECW Paul Heyman version of pro wrestling uh, feels like very much like the shoot wrestling of the early days. And it really has its own flavor. Vince Russo clearly, as you said, Ben, as an tour, as like art house wrestling, is producing what truly feels like television
1: not wrestling it's television and especially you who really hasn't seen any of vince russo's unfiltered work like this or or minorly filtered i i can't wait to see what you think but here let's get into it we're gonna start with the reboot the april 10th 2000 edition of wcw monday (laughs) nitro And Welcome to the show open. We're going to get into more details on these episodes as time goes on, but for our first one-off here, we're just going to take a look at the shows as they enter our eyeballs. The April 10th, 2000 Nitro opens with just horrific random steel noises. The WCW 2000 logo, which looks like a bird shit on a windshield... And the Nitro girls dancing on the Star Trek Voyager set. Uh, I
0: legitimately a... thought I was watching the intro that is in Ready to Rumble.
1: That is the intro that's in Ready to Rumble. Fuck yeah. I was right. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the show intro for Nitro?
0: It it feels bigger than Nitro. It feels bigger than a wrestling show would have. Really? I associate, to me... The traditional wrestling intro, which, you know, I think is pretty, pretty personified and perfected by the Ruthless Aggression Attitude Era and modern day WWE, which is a abbreviated anime style slash like sit like 90s sitcom television show intro where it's a blast of the characters, a musical hit that is thematically what you're supposed to feel where like in WWE, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like, it's not full dude, bro. Like it was in 2004 where it was like theory of a dead man music, which was like generic, like rock music. That'd be on the radio today. It's a bit more of like a generalized upbeat tone. That's like very hypeable and makes little kids go screamy. And it leads into this, in this and in Thunder, um, really did feel like it was doing its own thing, which gave it to me a grander sense
1: of importance. Man, that's if, that's if, like the, if, that's a horrible take. Fuck you, dude! I Don't hate watch. this intro so much. I love no, I didn't say
0: I liked it. I just I, said it was bigger.
1: No, no, I it's the you, worst. It's do one you of the realize worst that Nitro created, like the big bombastic intro. No, because have you it's seen fucking... the original WCW Nitro intro? No. They blow up Disney World in it. That's awesome. Here, I'll here, I I just sent just it to send you. Send this to me. Okay. let me let me experiment. Okay. This is this is before the era we're speaking of. Yeah, this is an intro from 1997. My right, so Nitro intro. A Ooh.
0: bunch of shitty. Oh, that, that blew up.
1: Yeah. That's the MGM Studios uh, studio lot in Disney World. So they're just blow they're just lighting shit and fire. Yeah, they're just blowing up the entire city. That's then, lame. This is so then, lame. In the end, it's the WCW Nitro. Yeah, that was incredibly lame. What the fuck was lame about they used actual explosives. Who gives a fuck? This is just Pyro. And shoot really Pyro fucking cool. the 13th century. It's fine. It's as cool as like the second RoboCop movie is cool. It was like, you have to remember back in like the day, Matt, this was I'm not back in the, I live in 2022. I am a modern man.
0: I'm not coming at this from your deep, like, like I was conceived in this crowd level of nostalgia. I'm approaching this from the perspective of a man who's seen every single Marvel TV product.
1: And yet you, and yet you liked the WCW Nitro 2000 intro.
0: Yeah, let me let's rewatch the night the WT,
1: WCW 2000. I I will.
0: I the theme guarantee song you. is
1: horrific. I literally just rewatched the intro today, and I cannot tell you what it is. The WCW right, let's see, let's see. Nitro intro from '95 is one of the greatest theme song intros ever for any show. That was so lame. All right, Matt, I feel like you're being deliberately contrarian. I'm not. These are my these are my unbroiled opinions. Your unbroiled opinions? Are they baked instead? Yeah.
0: No, they, they were sauteed. Alright, I'm gonna be honest. I might have been too inebriated to pay attention when I watched this intro last time. Okay, that's what I thought.
1: <laughs> this is still better. It's not. It's objectively not. I, I, Nothing like, happens in the other one. Matt, a fucking city is blown if up. The,
0: yeah, it's boring. You see that once and it's cool. You see it 16 times, it's boring. Okay, instead this instead you
1: s- watch random clips inside nothingness. Look, no, there's clips with harsh noise on the background. Okay, I think you're ben, just Ben,
0: clearly No, clearly you haven't listened to enough like first generation um harsh noise music. Uh,
1: apparently not. This now, is like I didn't pure, know that like we noise. were going to start not having this much common ground.
0: Oh no, we're I I Ben, I told you I'm loud, loose, and ready for this
1: episode. Okay, well okay, well here we go. The show opens. Oh wait, no, this uh, is great with the girls dancing. So <laughs> the show this opens This is so lame. It's like the Voltron
0: intro. What,
1: the logo's the building intro? itself.
0: Second intro for Monday Night Nitro is what I'm watching on YouTube.
1: Yeah, with the girls dancing and the CGI yeah. shit. Yeah, it's awful. That's
0: awesome. No, this is like the intro to a fucking Mortal Kombat video game. Are you listening I'm to so it with into the, this with the
1: grind music? With the... Like, yeah, this is great. Okay, and you're telling me that... Is better than... When I watched the previous 1995
0: intro, I didn't even notice the
1: music. It was boring. You... It's times like now that make me feel good, Matt, because I know that I don't know. I'm trying to spin something positive out of this. You're just fucked in the head, man. You're fucked. Look, like, no, this no, like, is fuck. The... Okay, the show opens. Brock
0: Lesnar going. Let's do this. Is better than that 1995
1: intro. I. You're just trying to get at me, and I, it's sad to I'm say not... it's working. It's working. This is this is real. All right. this isn't even about Star Trek opening pyro uh, a smattering oh! of pyro uh with a tiny crowd an even smaller stage
0: yeah it's horrible pretty awkward. music
1: the crowd's already dead great music cameras are like staggering around I to like it generally does it does feel like a drunkenly made episode like I can't critique the WCW production staff too much because they were very understaffed. Guy Evans talks you were about there. it in his book. You were friends with them. Uh, I, we were friends with security more more so, but, um, but in Guy Evans' book about Nitro, who he worked on the tech side, uh, they barely were able to scrape anything together. They never increased the size of their department. So whatever they were able to accomplish was impressive, but dude, this was brutal. Um, the crowd's already lethargic, uh, the pyro on top of the ring falls onto the wrestlers that are already in the ring. We have an all-hands-on-deck meeting featuring the WCW roster, and let me ask you, Matt, as the final, like, upper mid-carders of the roster head to the ring, what do you think about the state of the WCW roster in 2000? The likes of Crowbar, uh, Chris Candido... The, art- the artist formerly known as prince ikea it's fucking awful it's it, just it's imagine dead. that it's about- so
0: depressingly bad i was I, I i spent a good proportion of my time watching these episodes being like why does everyone look like they're over over stuffed with steroids and understuffed stuffed with ed- education
1: Does it make it worse, Matt, that just three months beforehand, Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, and Eddie Guerrero all walked out on the company?
0: You know, okay, so I didn't know the timeline of of those three living leaving but the amount of time airtime they get because they're clearly better and more important than anyone in the ring even in these opening seconds they're panning over a group of faces of wrestlers looking sternly and solemnly into the camera and none of them look like they'll ever have a career these look like anarchy pro wrestling third match of the night people
1: yeah, I I don't think There's like
0: there's a guy standing behind them holding a billboard that says white trash and he has more personality than all of them combined.
1: Yeah, I it's And there's Booker T who's fucking awesome. I really hate when they have all the wrestlers in the roster come out to the ring at once and it's for a reason like that. It's because if you're not a featured guy, you look like a freaking jobber. Even Scott Steiner, I know that's Steiner like a dated term to use, but jeez, it like they don't look good. Chris Candido's no, the, the, just staring at the camera. Like what else is the The only person
0: who looked good on this entire show is Vampiro.
1: Vampiro always looks tight. Yeah,
0: Vampiro is the slickest person in the entire thing. We'll get to it, but fuck Billy Kidman.
1: So so the final few guys come out. Uh we have the likes of Scott Steiner, okay. Uh Booker T, yeah. cool. Yeah, Booker T Jeff Booker Jarrett T saw some comes swag. out. US champion. Was it- and also, Wasn't he
0: just Booker at this point, though.
1: And also, Sorry. Van Hammer comes out.
0: Who the fuck is that? Yeah, I just exactly. watched this intro and I don't know who that is.
1: Yeah, he was the big, random, tall, blonde guy who came out in the opening segment. I don't think you saw at all the rest of the time, but but apparently he wanted to come out with with the main eventers. Uh, yeah, oh, I see Booker, him now. He's
0: getting in the ring. This yeah, is depressing.
1: Yeah, thank you for correcting me, Matt. He's not Booker T right now. He's Booker. Because yeah. he previously the lost a match uh, to Stevie Ray, who represented Wait. the new Harlem Heat, and he had a new partner, Big T, which was Ahmed Johnson, and so him and Booker T fought over the rights to the letter T, and Booker lost.
0: When did when did Billy Ray get Devon?
1: Bully Ray, but
0: Bubba. Are we Ray? talking about the? Si- are you talking about the same person I am? You, is the person... I'm
1: talking about a large black man.
0: Never mind. I just saw a sign in the crowd
1: that said slap nuts. Now get back to the promo. <laughs> so Jeff Jarrett um, has his uh, has a slap nuts gimmick going on. And he is going to introduce <laughs> us to Vince McMahon's best kept secret. He says that when he came to WCW, he was guaranteed a main event position thanks to this one man. But he was cut short by the, quote, good old boys who couldn't cut it. So he introduces Vince Russo. And Matt, let me ask you, do you think that the constant references to a good old boys network would allude to any heat there might be with anyone backstage? Not at all not not there can't be so Vince Russo makes his entrance to a completely apathetic crowd who does not the crowd is just just
0: just to for all of you out there who haven't watched this the crowd have you ever been to a show where a a opening band goes all right everybody let's get up let's get moving this song is for all of you to sing along to and then nobody does that's what's happening in this crowd right now yeah even
1: the wrestlers look bored Vince Russo makes his entrance and commentary is told to act like this is the biggest fucking deal ever. Vince Russo said he would never appear on television ever. Ever. Um, which is, it's kind of funny. You know, he was head writer for like three months beforehand only. And in those three months, he already introduced himself as a character he just didn't Holy put shit. his face really? on screen.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: So it's like, I mean, I guess, I guess. Uh, so Russo gets on the mic and I'll be honest for a guy who hasn't had a lot of experience in front of a TV. He's pretty captivating.
0: He's got, he's got good, he's got good uh, character. He's got that, he's got that energy to him.
1: He talks about how the new blood and WCW were changing the game before the good old boy network kicked in and they Man, were afraid that, of change if... so they brought vince russo down
0: imagine if AEW called wwe the good old boy or the or the um or the proud boy network in today's culture
1: so this came because apparently jj Dillon, i think it was wasn't a huge fan uh, it was jj Dillon or kevin sullivan wasn't a huge fan of vince russo And so when Russo came back and they were ushered out of their positions, uh, Jarrett and Russo took every attempt possible to rub their faces in it. Um, So, but this was introduced as a new Russo-Bischoff regime. Where's Bischoff? Well, Russo continues to run his mouth until we hear over the intercom, are you done yet? And Eric Bischoff Comes out to the ring, big smile on his face, graying hair, the silver fox himself. He comes out and commentary is setting it up as though we are to expect a major conflict here. People weren't sure if Russo and Bischoff were going to get along together. They get in the ring, they're they're teasing a standoff, and then they instantly shake hands, marking the first swerve in the they Russo-Bischoff regime.
0: And and I will say that in that moment, Russo looks
1: distinctly uncomfortable. So Bischoff gets on the mic and he takes a shot at the good old boys network. (laughs) He then goes on to say that the biggest mistake that he made was hiring people like Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Diamond Dallas Page, Sting. (laughs) Pretty much anyone that anyone ever cared about in WCW. But he says that his biggest mistake was signing Hulk Hogan. So What a
0: pro move.
1: All of the main eventers. This
0: this was like the the hot moment from the opening of Ready to Rumble. That would have made it too much about wrestling fans.
1: But would have fit that movie a lot better. I mean, Bischoff was supposed to be in that role. uh, Of the Sinclair role. Yeah. So, uh, as he's bloviating, he's confronted by our old school main eventers, uh, Sid, Luger, DDP, uh, Sting, no Flair or Hogan yet. Not yet. Um, As they come out, Eric Bischoff taunts them and he says, what's up, Sid? No softball game? Ho, ho, ho. Did you understand that reference, Matt? No. Okay. Okay. Uh, Sid <laughs> legitimately, <laughs> is real life, listening to this, loves softball. Okay, and he has a habit where he will just no-show events over the summer so he can go play softball. What a dick! Yes, <laughs> he, he has left multiple companies multiple times just because he wanted to play softball.
0: That's incredible.
1: Like, like the fact that it happened more than once is what I think is awesome about this. Like at that point, it's it's consistent. yeah, he's consistent. So it's like, can you really fault Sid at that point? It's like, you know what you're getting. Uh, (laughs) Vince Russo takes the moment to call out Ric Flair and calls him a piece of shit and says, he will take him out personally. Eric Bischoff says that he rebuilt Sting's career, which makes in context, absolutely zero sense in kayfabe. Uh, but then Russo and Bischoff get to the main point of this promo. They strip everyone of their championships. No one has a title belt. Incredible idea. Uh, they want to start with a clean slate with everyone. So everyone loses their belts, even though they're trying to stick it to the millionaires club and no one in the millionaires club, except for Sid has a title belt. He's got the title belt. And uh, the crowd chants for Goldberg, but Goldberg is smart enough to not be there. So yeah, he he, he dodged this disgusting. I, th- rule. I think he was injured. Was actually they what say it was.
0: they say in commentary that he is injured.
1: Sid tells Bischoff to come take the belt from him, and to that S- Bischoff says, "Okay." Sid, Sid <laughs> like, looks like, like, like a way guy needed to too Sid many steroids like and bitch. then
0: stopped. Yeah, Sid Sid looks like garbage. This entire so entire Bishop walks up thing. to
1: Sid and he says, "Hey, you can beat me up, but after I heal, I'll make sure you will never work in wrestling again, so hand me the belt." So, he he keeps trying well, he to talk to He's going to find his scissors. He asks Sid, "This is this is such a WCW moment. He asks, "What's the matter, Sid? Can't find your scissors?" And it's played dead serious. He even repeats the line more than once. And and the commentary team goes, Wow, I can't believe he just said that to Sid Scissors. And they 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 cut to like
0: two people in the crowd, like mouth wide, like fucking Taker just lost the streak. No
1: no one has any idea what happened. At a hotel bar years ago, Sid drunkenly stabbed Arn Anderson with scissors. And that's why he was fired from WCW one of his 15 times. And as you Bischoff introduced this as like this big gotcha moment, but because the internet didn't exist, no one had any idea what he was talking yeah. about. So he's like, internet I'm sure... exists
0: now and I don't even know what the fuck he's talking about. So
1: he goes, all right, maybe they didn't just, maybe they just didn't hear me. And what really sells it is he says it again oh, in yeah. the exact same way, just to make sure you really got it. Got those scissors? And so now <laughs> they literally stack the belts in a pile on the ring apron, uh. And and that's the end of the intro to the show. Twenty minutes in, a lot to take in. What do you think of this opening segment, Matt? So okay, so the oh, the thing that was racing through my mind this whole
0: opening segment is, I guess this is what Ready to Rumble was based on. Uh, the the other thing, it despite it feeling clunky and a little too insider baseball at times, like with the scissors and the softball stuff. Like I was like, what the fuck I did? did barely even registered except for the scissors. Cause they were repeated. This is like a really nice concept. I, yeah. I think the idea of starting of like, if you're going to like take the reins of a wrestling organization like this and try to breathe a fresh air into the storytelling This is a tremendous setup. This is like a charnel house level, the plague level idea, like how Masonberg's the plague has a tremendous idea at the core of it. And, and thankfully in that regard, the execution is done in this regard. it, It at so far, what has been presented to me is a fantastic landscape reset, a way of resetting power, re-establishing what characters do and how they feel about one another in a great way that sets us up for a very important tournament.
1: Yeah, so so I agree with what you're saying. Um mm-hmm. I, I feel like it was clunky but it wasn't bad. Yep. I think I feel like they did book themselves into a bit of a corner though, because framing it is old versus new.
0: Well it wasn't perfectly well done, but it well, was great. All idea. I'm saying
1: is that it sort of books you into a corner where now you only have like six guys feuding with the entire rest of the roster. Yeah. So like, it's like, it if really you put, ben versus us, like if you put Booker with the main guys, it wouldn't make as much sense thematically, but like there'd be a bit more give and take there, especially because those guys are still feuding with each other. Like Booker T is technically part of the new blood, even though he's a good guy. Which is a little strange, but like the idea is there. We now have a commentary recap, and good lord, they go through so much in this 30 second commentary booth.
0: Dude, don't even tell me about how fast the commentary is until we get to fucking thunder.
1: So, the commentary (laughs) team for Nitro is Tony Schiavone, Scott Hudson. And Mark Madden. Uh, any any immediate thoughts about this commentary team, Matt? Uh,
0: Tony Schifani is still a god. Um, there isn't as much, like, re- super uncomfortable tension as there is on Thunder. Uh, but I think it's a hot team. I think they got a good flow. I really, it's Tony carrying the whole thing, though.
1: Uh, Mark Madden has always irked me on commentary. Really? And I, I feel like... I thought he was fine. I uh, yeah I I think his out of commentary behavior because he's essentially a shock jock for radio. Yeah, I feel like really? that sort of personality really makes people dislike him more on WCW commentary. Um, I watched I watched a lot
0: of like modern like American rock music radio for
1: a while. So, I was really, like, fine with it. It felt very I, natural I feel to like me. he matches the vibe Vince Russo wants well. Uh, yeah, I he does. I also feel like if anything we say negative about him gets out on Twitter, he's going to try and crucify us. So I just need to set you... Boy, that's some good attention. Fuck you! <sighs> yeah, yeah. He's a real uh, uh, what, vanity like... searcher. So.
0: Oh, okay. So, what you're saying is that Mike Madden Mark is Madden. so... St- mark madden sorry he doesn't matter mike madden is so self-obsessed with himself that anyone remotely questioning his character or his legacy makes him feel a deep deep sense of insecurity to the point that he's willing to complain about it on twitter
1: yeah he's an extremely thin-skinned individual
0: man i i I wonder if he realizes that just put more attention on people's analysis of his insecurities
1: what a weak man Anyway, uh, as we move on backstage, we have our first backstage segment where Hulk Hogan arrives and Sting is awesome. comes to talk to him, and he essentially recaps what Bischoff said. Hogan doesn't believe it, and Sting says, "Quote: I'm not ribbing ya." Yeah that that made me feel weird. I will say though, the the casual Sting Hogan what, interaction weird is, is that amazing. Like, you can tell they've been ordered to say that. Yeah, that, you know, was, like, a, that like was a that was a required need insider line. terms. This, this is like Vince Russo tried to turn WCW into like the Muppet Show, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like the Muppet Show isn't about what the Muppets do on stage; it's about the hijinks that goes on behind the scenes. That's essentially what Russo is going for. Well, they're like cutting out the wrestlers' music on their intros with like Luger
0: and stuff. Really makes it makes it not about what's about to happen in the ring but the context that led to what's happening the story yeah. that is is underpinning the background, which again is to my point that i made earlier makes this feel much more like a tv show and not a sports entertainment a
1: professionally wrestling show yeah it's not really presented as a wrestling show here but we do especially get our opening in match, the, okay which is diamond dallas page whose music is cut off Versus Lex Luger, the total package. Uh, Lex, the Jerry Ashes Luger. Who's also uh, has his music and intro cut off. Matt, I, <laughs> September 1997, one the... Lex Luger was the hottest guy in WCW. And here we are looking at him less than three years later, and the man can barely how, move. How old is this man at this uh, time? Let's let's see. I let's see. Lex Luger age. Nowadays he's 64. So he so was in born June 1958, which means he was 41 years old. He looks like he's 50. He looks like, like he's like, 60.
0: Yeah, like a, he looks like a healthy 60 or a really bad 50. Or a heroin act forty.
1: I mean like, he's moving around like a balloon animal. Like how you can't how old move is Chris, him? Too how far or he'll pop? How old is Chris Jericho
0: right now? Uh, he's in his fifties. And and how old is John Moxley? Thirties. Uh, yeah, that's the age difference we're looking at here in the ring right now between DDP. I mean between DDP and Luger. Luger looks like he's twenty. To maybe 30 years older. Yeah, and DDP is like, the
1: same age as him.
0: Yeah, it's
1: fucking depressing. I, I mean, he, like...
0: He, he's rest-holding on the middle rope in the first 45 seconds of the match. And he's done one move.
1: It, everyone talks about how Luger's a horrible wrestler, which for the most part he is. But yeah, I don't think anyone awful. talks about the walking health hazard that is 2000 Lex Luger. Like, the dude is legitimately disturbing and gross to look at.
0: If you described how the Ultimate Warrior died and said it happened to Lex Luger in 2001, I'd believe you.
1: Well, it almost did. <laughs> oh shit! Like, like the dude had horrific health problems.
0: This um, is this is
1: the most insider
0: baseball episode we've he ever He suffered
1: recorded. a spinal stroke in 2007 that left him paralyzed. Was he a steroids guy or just like an alcohol? <laughs> <mantle>? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you try that one more time, Matt. <laughs> so was he just doing alcohol and steroids or was it like alcohol and painkillers too? I think it was everything. It was a little bit of it all? Yeah, like like if I remember correctly, Miss Elizabeth, who he was dating, passed away under his supervision due to drug overdose. Dude, so, fuck these people. <laughs> yeah, that's another reason why everyone hates Lex Luger. He seems like a real piece of shit. Does he I mean, get mad he's on dedicated Twitter? the last 20 years of his life to like speaking engagements and coming clean and shit. So, well, it sounds like someone's just trying to make money on their own mistakes. I mean, maybe, but you know, it depends how deep your cynicism runs deep enough to hate Lex Luger. Even today, most people do. Uh, fantastic. But, yeah. I'm all
0: about that. DDP yoga.
1: Yeah. So Lex, uh, walks and punches, he hits a low blow about forty-five seconds in. Uh, a kick, great, punch, like, cross- kick punch, cross punch. There wasn't great anything in this match, Matt. <laughs> no, no, his, his like, like rib breaker drop thing is cool, but he looked like he could. But yeah, he he gets Page up for uh for a I guess a rib breaker, and. Every time he lifts Paige up, it's like, I'm not sure if I can do this. Okay, yeah, you yeah, but, know, but Buff's like intro. Like, they're clean lifts when he does it, yeah. but he needs to sit there for a bit to, like, collect himself. Uh, yeah, no, but but then we get Buff Bagwell's intro. So,
0: Buff With Bagwell the greatest comes pyro, out. Greatest in, pyro intro in WCW history.
1: Yeah, how, how would you describe Buff Bagwell's entrance pyro, Matt? Fucking magical. It is he, like
0: it's the Ramstein of of wrestling intros. Yeah, he buff- literally machine finger guns, pyro <laughs> in unison in one of the greatest displays of like manly passion in wrestling history. <laughs> he looks as bad as Lex Luger but comes
1: off 10 times cooler because well, like, he finger guns his pyro. The thing about buff that makes He also looks like a gay porn star. Well, he was a gay porn star. <laughs> well, uh, he was at least a softcore porn star. But anyway. Looks like it. Uh, he was also a gigolo. As he should be. Yeah. anyway, like, Buff, like, at least his muscles are, like, nice and puffy, right? Like, obviously, he well, he juices. But it's not like right kind of Lex, steroids. who looks like a Venice Beach 55-year-old. Well, no, it's, it's the face. Yeah. Buff
0: Bagwell's face still looks like he could be under 40. Yeah, so like Buff- like like if you told me Buff Bagwell was thir- was twenty eight to thirty four,
1: right now I'd be like, yeah, no, I agree with that. Well, Matt, Buff is the stuff, and the girls just can't get enough. Uh, I agree. I can, I can barely get enough Buff. So Buff comes out, finger bangs the pyro, races over to Miss Elizabeth and starts uh, sexually assaulting her at ringside. Yep. Lex uh, would like him to stop. But that gives DDP the chance to turn him around and hit the diamond cutter for the win uh, in about four minutes of wrestling. And we go to commercial with Hogan backstage, searching for Eric Bischoff in every room that he can look for. Um, Eric! So, like, do you know how many back bumps Lex Luger took in that whole match, Matt? Zero. Zero. He took one front bump the whole match. That was the only bump he did. How Barflex in God's Luger. name did they let this man wrestle in the state he was in? I don't, I think that's just all you could get out of him. That must be the case. There must have been nothing else available. Uh, so we come back from commercial. Kurt Hennig finds Vince Russo backstage. Kurt Hennig was sort of the powers that be's right-hand man back in the fall when Russo was first in charge. And he alludes that to that uh, in this segment, where he asks Russo for a chance to get into the world title match at the pay per view coming up. So it will. Be, so Vince Russo agrees. He puts Kurt Hennig in a match with Jeff Jarrett. The winner of Hennig and Jarrett will face the winner of the mini tournament, uh, where Paige, who just beat Lex, will face the winner of Sting versus Sid in the main event of tonight's nitro how spicy it's at this point where i'm like good lord where's the mid card on this show because we've already had two segments that hogan's in two segments that stings in three segments with bischoff like and we haven't even got we haven't gotten to Flair yet who also has three different segments yeah so tank abbott comes out tank abbott the mma fighter matt do you know anything about tank abbott
0: I have seen a lot of his early fights, and yeah. uh, he's a sad man.
1: So Tank Abbott at a
0: time was a legit threat. Yeah, Tank was Abbott, like an
1: AEW Kane Velasquez. So I was going to say that uh, Tank Abbott, in many ways, is like a prototype for the Ronda Rouseys of today. Uh, talk or a big game in an underdeveloped weight class. And then you get schooled and there's really no coming back for that. Uh, What what do you think of that comparison, Matt? That's pretty apt. I
0: I, I would have said that uh, he came out with the the vibe of a returning Brock (laughs) Lesnar, except he didn't have enough personality, which I mean even compared to Brock Lesnar, to carry himself and that kind of character presentation forward. Uh, like yeah. going going pro wrestling, successful MMA, pro wrestling, good move. Going yeah. m MM, going
1: from successful MMA career right to pro wrestling, very difficult. So Tank comes out and uh let me tell you, Matt, his promo skills are not on point. Uh he goes wow. this the second some, worst promo on this podcast on uh, this episode. I'm, I'm not some candy ass wrestler. I'm here to kick ass. Bill Goldberg, I came here for you. And he looks like a sad that, person from Central Michigan. Uh, anytime that uh, you don't come out here, I'm gonna beat somebody up and uh, it's gonna start tonight. And he sounds just like a truck driver. Then he walks over to Mark Madden, rips his shirt off because he's fat and that's supposed to be funny and then he punches him like twice and leaves. Like, it it does have a certain charm to it. I, the commentary team could not have given less of a shit that he was killing Mark Madden. Tony's I think he like, actually Wow, we should... Tony uh,
0: wanted Mark to get hit.
1: It felt like it. It felt like it. Commentary really does put forward. They're like, yeah, I hope he beats the shit out of this asshole. Backstage, yet again... That was it. That was the whole segment, by the way. Like, 90 it's seconds. Pointless. It's useless. Yep. Uh, Backstage, Vince Russo wants Jeff Jarrett to trust him. And Jeff's like, okay, I guess I trust you. Uh, Somewhere else backstage kidman wants tori to trust him and so i guess she trusts him uh somewhere else in the arena hulk hogan still cannot find eric bischoff how big is this arena we're like 40 minutes into the show at this point hulk hogan can still not find eric bischoff well He's, he's
0: canonically we do know that he's not watching it because he later finds a little tv to tune in
1: Yes, that is true. That is true. So so he doesn't know
0: what's happening outside of the little small portion. No, because he, he he hasn't actually watched any of tonight's yeah, show. in storyline. In, story in line, canon. He hasn't c- seen anything that we have seen on camera the, except for his interaction he had with Sting and when he's been on camera himself.
1: Yeah, Matt, can you imagine somebody who works on a show and they can't even be bothered to watch or listen to it? It would really make him look like an asshole, huh?
0: It it does, but it makes sense for the narrative being told. From like a, this is a reality TV show perspective, where when you're doing reality TV and you're interviewing the participants, you interview them as if the the things that have happened haven't already happened. And Uh you get them to respond in thus. And Vince Russo manages to write that exact scenario into a television program where it doesn't
1: make any sense for that to exist. So what you're telling me, Matt, is that you actually did listen to the podcast last week? No, I'm just reaching the same conclusions as you. Uh-huh. Because so, we're
0: spiritually bonded in so a life mate situation. A deeper connection than any significant other can have.
1: So back from break, Hogan finally opens the door that has Eric Bischoff in it. Bischoff tells Hogan not to believe what all the other guys are saying. He's got his best interests at heart. Come on in. We'll all hash this out. I got a plan. So Hogan comes in. As Hogan comes in, Billy Kidman comes out to the ring and he calls out the egomaniacs who are trying to protect their careers. He says he's done with it. He targets the biggest egomaniac of them all, Hulk Hogan. He says that he's got two things that Hulk Hogan will never have and that's heart and talent uh Matt, pro, your your recap
0: of his promo was about 15 times better than Billy Kidman's actual promo It's a little wooden
1: I wouldn't say it was no, bad No Not
0: even a little wooden this is a
1: goddamn mahogany
0: hand carved table This guy is one of the most boring people I've seen on a microphone in the last 10 years of my life I would watch countless Elias promos Before I would listen to another goddamn 2000s Billy Kiliedman promo.
1: By the end of Nitro, I want to throw this guy out a window. So, do you know why he's feuding with Hogan, Matt? Because he sucks. So, what happened is that Hulk Hogan was interviewed on, I think it was Bubba the Love Sponge. And he said that there's guys on the roster, like Canyon and Kidman, who couldn't draw flies to a flea market. What a gangster! And I think it was—I I don't think he mentioned Canyon, but Canyon, who by all accounts was a real decent guy, uh, RAP, he no, uh, r- reached out to Hogan and he was like, "Hulk, like you can't say this shit about guys like Kidman because you know, even though you're not in the same locker room as us, you're still like, you know, a head of the locker room, and like, you know, the guys feed off your energy and shit."
0: Yeah, you can't. You, you shouldn't be doing that, in... like. Yeah. You can say that backstage, but, like, ethically speaking, you shouldn't so, be saying that in a fucking magazine. And so,
1: according to Kidman, Hogan goes, Oh, no, brother. I'm just working them for the for, for an angle. I'm going to start an angle with Kidman soon. So, basically, what happened is that Canyon guilt-tripped Hogan into having a feud with Billy Kidman to show that Fuck, Hogan yeah. would work with him. So, Hogan comes out... uh. Kidman gets the jump on him and gets about three moves of offense in before Hogan de- starts beating the dog piss out of him. The fir- the first strike from Kidman does look pretty stiff. Yeah, yeah. Ho- yeah, Kidman gets like one good hit on him <laughs> and then it's all Hogan. Yeah, it's Yeah, Hogan tells him to get around. up your piece of crap and then he throws the mic so no one has to hear Hulk Hogan say crap. Uh He then later says shit like 15 times. Then Eric Bischoff comes out with a chair to help Hogan, but oh my god, we have another swerve! Eric Bischoff has turned face to heel in the opening segment, then heel to face in the backstage segment, and then face back to heel in this segment, where he s- cracks Hulk on the head with a chair. Hulk blades. Kidman gets a visual three count on Hulk Hogan. The commentary sells as Kidman having legitimately beaten Hulk Hogan in the middle of the ring,
0: single-handedly.
1: Nonetheless, we come back from break so well. Hogan is bloodied. He's screaming for Bischoff again. Backstage, he's he's casually throwing over these boxes that are just randomly stacked. and commentary repeatedly is apologizing for
0: his bad language. They, they spend the rest of night being like, we as WCW do not. I actually of like that or appreciate. I-, I do too. No, I love this. I, I think a lot of this is fucking great when you're watching this, like it's Lucha underground, where it's actually like a narrative television program. So, uh,
1: at this point, that is a legit three count, by the way, though. So at this point, Ric Flair is another part of the backstage. He's in the uh, gorilla position where, uh, do you know who the gorilla position was named after? Um, gorilla monsoon. Yes. Cause that's where he would. Always yeah. Sit during the show. Let's go. That's my one. I got my one trivia in. So uh, it's actually very sweet on, on his tribute to gorilla monsoon. Uh, Bobby Heenan noted while he was still working for WCW, they let him talk about it. And he said, When you get up to the pearly gates, that's now called the gorilla position. I was like, Aw. Oh, yeah. that's really wow,
0: that's that's more genuinely kind than anything we've ever said on this
1: podcast. So, somewhere else backstage, I bet he would have listened to Gorilla's podcast. Damn uh, right. Flair is being shown the opening segment because apparently he couldn't be asked to show up to the building until the show is halfway over. Like at this point, he's too much of a big star at this point, like Russo kind of deserves some credit here. Like these guys are assholes. We're we're 45 to
0: work. He showed up 45 minutes after the television, the live broadcast. Yeah.
1: So he's shown the recap of the video and then he immediately walks out to the ring. He says Vince Russo can't save WCW because when he grew up, he was watching Ric Flair on TV. He cuts what I think is a great heart of a promo yep. Yep. where Flair asserts that he's not old. He's great. He says you need to replace the word old with great. He says people who call John Elway old, people call John Elway great. And, he and says he's working that for wrestling, that wrestling local heat. Is the only sport where you get your ass kicked for being old? It's a great promo.
0: It's a, like a really captivating promo. Yeah, it's not. It, it it made me it made me understand Flair just that much more.
1: Yeah, I I think with Flair this also came from. I, I think it came from a real place too. I mean, it's nowhere near Flair like the best half of Flair's promos in his career, uh, but. I, you know, Flair throughout his entire wrestling career was very much, um, always very self-conscious about not being used, uh, useful or being out of date or being, um, being viewed as like lesser than or not the man anymore. I think it was, it was Kevin Sullivan or Arn Anderson who were talking in their books about how when, um flair was being booked by jim Hurd. heard wanted flair to change to cut his hair they were going to change his gimmick and they were going to call him spartacus and he'd be a gladiator and stupidest that i've ever heard but like the thing is that flair took it seriously flair literally at one point needed to be escorted out of his hotel room with the help of someone else because he was so shaken up and depressed and scared and like fearful that he couldn't get out of his bed he was just so what paralyzed with anxiety holy fuck yeah so you look at flair now and how he had such a hard time leaving the spotlight like yeah no shit you know that's why he's wrestling at 76 years old or however old he is yeah deep 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 insecurity and like internal pain so, while he's challenging Vince Russo, who comes out but Scott Steiner, um, who says that Ric Flair, quite frankly, you're boring me to death. He says, uh-huh, uh-huh. you took my advice, you bleached your teeth, but you're still crooked as hell. I'll be honest. Good line. Scott Steiner's the fucking man. He, That's he, a great line. He has a bit at the end where he brings out, like, rubber, goofy teeth to put on his mouth and yep. just start and he starts saying that he is more loose skin than a Sharpe puppy which is probably the greatest insult that anyone has ever thought of in the history of life yeah no especially against someone like rick flair yeah saying that rick flair has more loose skin than a Sharpe puppy is like like fuck man you know uh but while he's distracting rick flair he is attacked by Shane Douglas, who has returned to WCW after being on ice for a bit. Um, this is which a is hit that... super hard by commentary. Okay, so this was a few that's once again internet based, in uh, in ECW based too, where Shane Douglas essentially built his ECW and indie career. By criticizing Ric Flair and challenging him to fights that he knew that Ric Flair was never going to take. Yeah. Um, And after, like, six years of framing your character around I hate Ric Flair, believe this, Ric Flair wasn't too happy to be working with Shane Douglas, but he made it work. Oh, really? Yeah, so he knocks on Flair and Flair lies down like he's a corpse in a mortuary. Did you see that bump? No, yeah, Flair, Flair takes two hits.
0: He gets... He gets punched in the head and like kneed in the stomach, and then just turns off.
1: And uh, it's really sad. It's it's really just awkward to look at because like Flair can bump here. I think he just didn't want to. For no, Douglas. he clearly
0: was like was like fuck this. I'm not.
1: Yeah, uh, apparently, Shane Douglas's heat with Flair started when he uh, worked with. It worked in the WWF in the early 90s, I think it was. Maybe it was even earlier when he was working in uh, Crockett. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. But but anyway, he asked for Flair to watch his match because Flair was, like, one of his favorite wrestlers. And Flair goes, yeah. oh, yeah, sure, pal. I'll do it, hey." And he comes backstage, and he's like, so, Flair, so, like, Rick, what do you think? He's like, oh, brother, that was the best match I've ever seen. That was blah, 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 blah. And he, and he basically no-sold it, and Shane Douglas, like, saw that he would just say that to everyone yeah, who came through, and that really Dude, Fla- disillusioned Flair him. Flair takes a single punch, goes
0: dead flat, takes an elbow, and then gets punched six times, and after the first punch, doesn't react in the slightest. Yeah, He's just laying there like a fucking
1: corpse. So, uh, Flair lays down like a corpse. Backstage, we see Nash, uh, Kevin Nash, who's shown up to work. Over an hour late... Uh, yep. He's limping. Unacceptable. And then, and then we can see in the darkness, it's Bret Hart. Oh! And commentary's like, oh my god, is that... I can't see... Is that see? someone we might know? Who is that? Back from commercial, Tony Schiavone says we have a disaster happening every segment here. Which is a great way <laughs> of describing the pacing of the show. Yeah. Uh, quote, we know the heat between Shane Douglas and Ric Flair. The heat... Insider Baseball. Uh, Flair is backstage. Now he's looking for Shane Douglas. Shane Ooh. is being interviewed yeah. by Mean Gene, where he says that Ric Flair has been franchised. What do you think of using that as a catchphrase, Matt? I
0: I, I kind of like it. Because it, it, I, I really feel like Seth, Seth Rollins needs to use that against Cody Rhodes. Well, he can't now
1: because Cody Rhodes yeah. broke his body in half.
0: I don't know. I I think given the time period and the and what was like the like really hyper informed wrestling community I think it kind of works. I think from our modern sensibilities it's kind of lame, but given the time period I like it.
1: So we now Come out to the second match in our mini tournament for one side Wait, of the number one contendership, and we're an hour—we're about an hour into the show. and We've seen two matches. This is match Three? number two. Yeah, there was one match in the first hour of the this show, is, and it was this four is minutes this long.
0: is worse pacing than SmackDown. Okay, but <laughs> but but the emphasis here, and I think the underpinning thing about Russo's. Storytelling style is that the wrestling is secondary to the story being told. Which is to really the, good
1: because the next match is smart. Sting versus Sid. And, <laughs>
0: Matt, and Sting's it's, a great wrestler and Sid sucks.
1: Yeah, I will say this is Sting's best look. Like the hair is perfect. The makeup's oh, yeah. on point or the face paint. Like Sting, Sting, Sting looks, looks jacked. Sexy. He looks like, like a fucking movie star. And like he's healthy personal life too like he was born again at this point like if you look at sting in 98 dude look like if you look up pictures of Wolfpack sting yeah in the red face paint he looks dead inside and compared to here world of difference so like that respect good for him yeah um it's also at this point where i noticed that the nitro stage they're using looks awful the yeah Turner-tron- it looks like plastic I mean, it's like it's
0: it's bad, like geez. yeah. But Sting looks so goddamn good. He does. He's he does. fast. He's quick. He's loose. He's unfortunately, going. Ow!
1: Unfortunately, Sid is not. So no, uh, Sid's
0: a brick wall of sadness. Yeah,
1: they jump to the outside immediately. Uh, Sid he's gets gas. Uh, encouraging the crowd to chant for him. Uh, Sid, Instant low blow. I, I will say, Sid bumps twice on his back before interference in the match. Uh, crowd still love sting. He's like the only guy they've been hot for all night. Um, there's a double down and then the wall shows up. Yeah. Uh, it's yet another interference, which makes this two out of two interferences in our matches. I wonder Um, how many more we'll get. Yeah. So, uh, he he waits for Sid to gingerly lie Sting down. And then the wall attacks. Uh, he hits the worst choke slam through a table ever. And then Sting wins by count out in about seven minutes. Which was the longest seven yeah, minutes of fuck? my life. <laughs> um,
0: Sting also looks fucking confused when the match ends. He's like, wait,
1: really? That's how this is ending? I will say, I'm curious to see how he viewed the wall overall because i remember as a kid i thought the wall was dope as shit
0: oh he's pretty badass i yeah, mean he doesn't I'm, matter but he's funny and i'm happy he exists as a character he's like
1: agent smith if he was twice the size and put people through yeah. tables like that's awesome. what i
0: what i still love is the consistent aspect of the commentators especially tony shivani looking at his notes and paperwork throughout the event <laughs> yes like it's, it's like ever present. There's a script on the table that has like notes. And when he's talking about any of these matches or anyone else is talking, he's like, let me, let me take a look. Let me fold back
1: a page real quick while you're speaking, sir. Um, okay. So Tony Schiavone says, Hulk Hogan is still looking for Bischoff after Hulk has already found him and got hit no. in the head with a chair from Bischoff. He's and be trying to find him again. Ric Flair is Second back flare. out. Second segment. Back no music. Again. Uh, this is the third Ric Flair segment. He challenges Shane Douglas to a fight tonight. This match that Shane Douglas has been building towards for six years. We're going to Just pay it off shits all over. tonight. Okay, no more typing. We're now backstage where Hulk Hogan is once again looking for Kidman and Eric Bischoff. And throwing the same boxes on the ground. We are still looking for... This is not a big arena, Hulk. We can tell. Nope. There's not that many people there. We're back from commercial. Hulk Hogan's backstage. And believe it or not, he's looking for Eric Bischoff and Billy Kidman. Holy shit. What a twist. Uh, he beats the shit out of three count who are there. Shane Helms has the most, like, nice guy look ever. Uh... Then we get a sneak peek for Ready to Rumble, Matt. Yeah. They interview Vampiro, who said, I used to sleep on that street corner over there. And that was like the one quote from a wrestler they had.
0: Yeah. At at least least David Arquette is at Thunder the next night.
1: Yeah. Well, they also show a clip of David Arquette hitting Jeff Jarrett in the head with a guitar. I'm sure we won't see that get paid off. Oh, oh. so now we're out for match three of the evening. Jeff Jarrett comes out. Uh, I really like Jeff Jarrett's flash pyro. It's not as good as buffs, but I thought it was still pretty good.
0: And his, his in-ring pyro is really good
1: too. Yeah. I, I'm a big mark for in-ring pyro like that. Yeah. He, he does it super
0: His in-ring pyro isn't on par with like the triple H spit, but it's like,
1: it's really solid. Yeah. Uh, We have found Eric Bischoff before Hulk Hogan. Eric Bischoff is in a skybox now. Uh, And commentary
0: loudly tells you that, like, yeah, by the way, he's hiding in a skybox somewhere in the arena.
1: So now commentary tells us, hey, by the way, every single title in the company is going to be decided at Spring Stampede. Oh, okay, Matt, just for posterity's sake. Do you know yep. when that pay-per-view is in relation to this? Yes. Like how many weeks uh, away are we from it? Let's say five. Okay. You sure? That's I, I, the
0: way they're presenting it is like, it's one, but based okay. on the fact that you're asking me this question makes me think it's at least three. The but show I'm settling on five The
1: pay-per-view is that Sunday.
0: Oh shit. Okay. Well,
1: that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Now tell me, the Matt. The premium live event is worth attending. So, so Matt, just think about this. This whole show is being used to determine the competitors in one match, six yep, days well, from the pay per view. There are no that... other matches scheduled for the show. Yes. So, so in the only... middle of Kurt Hinnig versus Jeff Jarrett, Sean Stasiak makes his WCW debut. And I have never heard someone's career die Die. so fast than when Scott Hudson on commentary screams, he was meat in the WWF. (laughs) Like, I get you want to be like, hey, guys, we got someone from the WWF. We're the hot place to be. No, my But you do not introduce a guy debuting in an upper mid card feud as he was meat in the WWF. Well and the first thing that he does is half get in
0: the ring, get looked at by Kurt Henning, goes uh oh slides back out, slides
1: back in, and then botches his move to end the match. Yeah he botches his finish to end the match. And it's terrible I wrote, Jeff Jeff Jarrett wins via stroke in five to six minutes. (laughs) I'm having one too. Yeah, I agree with the sentiment. (laughs) Meat from the WWF. Do you know what the character Meat was? No. He was... Was he Meat? He was the... uh, Tell me if you think this was a Vince Russo idea. He was the side piece of Jacqueline and Terry Runnels... And they, and he was their meat because they were like, a, uh, like, a, uh, like we're the girls and we're in charge type of thing. They were called the pretty mean sisters or PMS moving on Nash is backstage. He's making a call to someone for them to come to the arena. Sting then comes out, uh, and, and he cuts what I thought was the best promo of the show. Uh, it's a promo about loyalty and Sting's like, I am loyalty to WCW. Uh, I, I, I think Sting has never been the strongest promo, but he's great at sound bites. What did you think mm-hmm. of this? I think it's a, it's, sh- well, at least it's, it's a moment. It's a way
0: of displaying someone who's perfect in a quotable segment shouldn't be given a long period of time but when they're trying to convey like the simple narrative necessity of a of a
1: scene they do it so fucking well for real uh so you know what we haven't had enough of on this show matt (gasps) what's that ben we haven't had enough of the Nature Boy because Rick Flair. Oh my Flair god,
0: more is Ric back Flair? Out.
1: This is our fourth Ric Flair segment. I thought it was three, they'd all blended together. So well, much. there were, were two so that sad. happened right next to each other. So Ric Flair backstage, Ric Flair in the ring, Ric Flair back mm. in the oh, ring, yeah. then Ric Flair in the ring for a third time. Uh still in slacks. And a t shirt. Everyone on this show is dressed like a jobber. Like, yeah, Rick well, fucking Flair is wrestling in a t-shirt and slacks. Like, what the fuck is that?
0: And it looks so lame. Like, I don't know if it was supposed to like. Yeah, look it's, cool. Yeah, it's not
1: like... It looks so stupid. It, it's not spontaneous. It's just like, I could not yeah. be bothered to put anything else on. Well, yeah, and these people have had plenty of fucking time to change. This is the biggest feud you could do between a WCW guy and an ECW guy. And they are giving it away 20 minutes after it was set up. Uh, yeah, this show this show is
0: operating at a fucking breakneck pace.
1: There's a rough here, but Tony Schiavone insists that it's just a fight. So I guess we'll extend this a bit longer. Um, we finally have names for the two groups. We have the New Blood and the Millionaires Club. I like it. Uh, We get another interference where Vince Russo bats Ric Flair in the face to close this non-sanctioned fight that goes about three minutes. Uh, Vince Russo takes Ric Flair's Rolex, and then he does a bunch of suckets, which is a great WCW move to do. Back from commercial. All, all, All kosher in that regard. Kevin Nash is limping to the ring, and he asks... What happened to that sweet little wrestling show on Mondays? What did God happen damn. to
0: that show, Matt? I, You know, Vince Russo
1: came all over it. But, but you know what the funny thing is? Kevin Nash was the first guy who tried to do what Vince Russo was doing here, and he was worse at it. Kevin Nash booked an episode of Nitro where the first hour of the show was only backstage segments.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: And the whole thing is they were like, oh, so Hulk, what do you want to do for the show tonight? Oh, I don't know, brother. Like, that, uh, like, uh, I don't know, that DDP's been pissing me off. Maybe we should, uh, talk to the higher-ups to get him in a, you know, a a handicap match. Ooh, that sounds spicy, Hulkster. Like, it was that for an hour. That's so sad. It's the episode that introduced Tori Wilson. It was like 40 minutes of them simping all over Tori Wilson.
0: That's yeah. I'm not
1: surprised given this product. Yeah. Uh. So Nash says uh, pretty good a, promo here.
0: Uh, it's a pretty good outside.
1: promo, especially because Kevin Nash is trying to use it to shoot, get Scott Hall rehired into the company. Uh, yeah. He's, he says that Scott Hall's clean and ready to fight, which he wasn't. Uh, he's talking about how him and Scott protected Vince Russo from Shawn Michaels in the WWF. And how Bischoff would be getting Vern Gagne coffee still if it wasn't for Kevin Ash. And then someone I, on commentary screams, We're shooting here.
0: And he, he repeatedly mentions like going back to Connecticut. Like going back to wherever the WWE offices are. Like he makes several references to that too.
1: But never fear to make who shows up but Mike Awesome with a fanny wow. pack. He is the what active incredible, He is the active ECW champion here. Mike
0: Awesome has the greatest hair to forehead to face shape ratio I've ever seen on a human. It is genuinely disturbing. He looks like yeah. a chia pet. Yeah, I'm he, so he,
1: sad they didn't do more with Mike Awesome. Dude I, looks I swear Mike Awesome is a living replica of a cone head. Like like Mike awesome is one of the few guys who actually looks like a something on this show. Uh, yeah. Like a he, non-human
0: he, cl- cone head person.
1: Gosh, shut up. He beats the shit out of Nash. Uh, he cuts a sort of map promo, but I mean, like at the time, this was probably the biggest free agent they could have gotten. Um, Mike awesome was the legit real current ECW champion at the time. Uh, Paul Heyman wasn't paying him for his dates. And his contract expired. And he's like, hey, man, I'll drop the title, but like WCW wants me to sign now. So he signed then. And like he did it all by the book. And then Paul Heyman spent the next year of his life trashing Mike Awesome for walking out on the company and taking the title. I mean, Even though was pretty, he was
0: pretty justified.
1: No, because his fucking contract expired. Don't put the belt on someone who, has, who doesn't have a contract.
0: Look, Hogan literally dies in the next segment, so I can give a shit about Mike Awesome.
1: Whatever. Okay, so Hulk Hogan is once again backstage. Uh, Mike Awesome is like cousins with Hulk Hogan, you know? Raw's amazing. Hulk Hogan says, I'm gonna, quote, I'm gonna eat his ass alive.
0: Yeah, I think I, I literally texted you that line as I as I was watching this. It was one of the most beautiful lines of dialogue I've ever heard from yeah. a wrestler. Curse,
1: curse, curse, curse. He gets in a car, but oh my God, Hulk Hogan Ooh. is assaulted by the white Hummer, which slams into his limousine. When you said this was like a gim- a thing that's been going on for a while. So in 1999, there was someone backstage who kept hitting people. With a white limo. And it's like, who is it in the white limo? Or or not in the white limo, in the the Hummer. Who's in the Hummer? Who's driving the white Hummer? And they dropped it for like a year. And then they're like, oh, we should probably close this loop. And it's like, hey, Eric Bischoff's in there. I guess he's the one who did it this whole time. Which didn't make any sense, but... At least they answered it, I guess. Narrative
0: Um, payoff, that's what matters.
1: Yeah, we're back from break. Hulk Hogan has had... In B spray painted on him like the NWO. Uh, Kidman looks and feels so awkward here. Looks terrible. Uh, it's got a good tan though.
0: He looks like a he looks like a child actor in a movie way too serious for his presence, but not but but low budget enough where they don't do anything to correct the behavior.
1: And we finally made it to our main event: Sting versus Diamond Dallas Page mini tournament finals no build for these two fighting each other no ads earlier on the show for legitimately two of the top baby faces in the company wrestling yeah this each is other an here.
0: incredible match at the t- given the time this I, I, mean, a, I, I think in 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 regards to the the tournament nature of the show you wouldn't have been able to promote this match
1: yeah because we needed you know, all of those segments of hogan you're right Yeah, yeah, and Um,
0: Flair. Don't worry, there's four flare segments already.
1: Yeah, Jeff Jarrett's out on commentary, but that doesn't really matter uh, because in three minutes, Vampire interferes and hits his finish on Sting, and then uh, Diamond Cutter gets the win. Jeff Jarrett looks to make a statement on DDP, swings the guitar, but DDP ducks, and Kimberly eats the guitar shot.
0: Beautifully, by the
1: way, she takes that chair
0: that that guitar shot like a fucking champion.
1: Yo, Kimberly's a stud. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Jericho's back. or er, God, Jericho. Jarrett, Jericho. Jarrett is back out uh for an encore here. Once again, Matt, this is the flagship show of the company. This is the last segment of the flagship show of the company before the pay-per-view. The go-home we, we, go we, we episode. We have, we have thunder, but that's it. So this is the go-home. They have announced one match for the pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, we have... Jarrett goes through all of his pyro again. Uh, says he'll beat DDP. DDP comes out again. Scott Steiner comes out again. Luger comes out again. The entire roster comes out to brawl. Booker comes out, but he starts beating up DDP and Sting. Like what the fuck? Uh, Crowd starts chanting for Goldberg, and then the show closes with Bret Hart of all people walking out, and them acting like it's a huge deal. When and, which I guess, which I guess means less in hindsight now that we a hundred percent know that Bret Hart was never returning to full time competition again. Yeah. Uh but even then, it's like. Uh, yeah, it kind of
0: ends on like a like, like a like a like a like a cough more than like a heartbeat
1: yeah and it ends on like uh you know all hell's breaking loose what's gonna happen at the pay-per-view what's gonna happen on thunder and and we were gonna talk about thunder but we just spent over an hour talking about nitro
0: yeah i, I mean and Thun- i mean frankly i mean we'll, we'll have words about thunder next episode but frankly thunder is just kind of a recap show Mm, hard disagree at the, at hard the beginning disagree. it hard. opens as a recap show and then it kind of evolves i i, I have, need to rewatch thunder thunder i was have watching more notes time about thunder
1: I... than i had about nitro holy fuck yeah after we get to thunder matt it's time for us to look at wcw's spring stampede from april 2000 holy shit are, are uh, Coming out of this Nitro, what are the things you liked? What did you dislike? And how excited are you for the pay-per-view?
0: So, re- I genuinely like what I feel like is a really fresh and refreshing take on the promotion of pro wrestling, which Russo really does well, where he's making a point of presenting a tv show not necessarily a professional wrestling product um the wrestling was terrible um was flat out like genuinely not enjoyable and it really felt like it didn't matter which is sad because the acting of the characters is hit or miss there is some great um promos some great acting and performance um, but overall it feels like everyone is confused and Vince Russo is kind of making shit up as he goes along, but I think that's how it's supposed to feel. And I don't know if I'm getting like worked by Russo with his like weird chaos storytelling, but I kind of love it. Um, I hate some of the people who are a part of it. Like if the wrestling and the, in the characters were a lot stronger, I think it would be better. But, like, you know, I understand a night where you have four Flair promos because Flair is one of your only good talkers.
1: So I feel like the ideas Russo has here are really good. I feel like there's no reason why all of this had to happen on this one oh, night. It's like,
0: this is six episodes of storytelling shoved into one chapter.
1: This is legitimately a month's worth of building. Yeah for, for in, in one show. Um, I, I like that. I can't even say in this episode that he's using new people. Cause like, it's really the same rotating bunch of like eight guys here. Uh, I like that the feuds he's focusing on are made to feel important. I feel like the presentation, the production, the wrestling are all horrible. I think the storytelling does not make any sense in or out of kayfabe. Especially, Um,
0: especially in kayfabe. It makes even less sense.
1: Yeah. I, I love watching this because it's so strange Mm -hmm. that like I'm captivated watching it. Like this is something that no one else has done. So it's so weird to watch. But I do not know how you could watch this and say it's good. And if like, you were and like that,
0: WCW at the time or wrestling at the time, I can't imagine this coming.
1: Like, if you just turned, on I, Nitro I mean, like, on I liked April it, 17... but I also turned five in the year two. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, for kid me, like, this <laughs> is the greatest yourself. show ever.
0: Yeah, if I was five years old and like way too smart for the little body and brain I had maybe this should be good.
1: It's, it's really, it it's, it's an interesting, uh, show, but I was, I came into this sort of expecting it to surprise me in a way that a lot of the other things we've watched have.
0: Yeah, it did, it did, it did that for me at least. Cause I haven't, I don't have any nostalgia
1: for this, this. Content. Yeah. I, I wouldn't call it the worst wrestling. No, like 1995 WWF is the worst wrestling or this isn't 2009 raw is the worst wrestling or, you know, 2013 impact wrestling is the worst wrestling. Yeah, this is just like chaos. It, it's chaos. Yeah.
0: Well, it, it's booked like an indie show and and has the same short sightedness that that is perceived as long-sightedness that some really amateurist writing get gets and puts out.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm curious to see how our opinion on this changes. I I'm willing to keep going through this because I wanna see how this evolves over time. Um Matt, how excited are you for Spring Stampede?
0: I frankly don't know what a single match on Spring Stamp! You have DDP versus
1: Jeff Jarrett for the world title. That's it, and you know all the other titles will be crowned at the pay. How
0: close are we to David Arquette winning the title? I can't tell you that, Matt. I'm extremely excited. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm more excited for this show than I am for the most recent Hell in the Cell, which I forgot was happening. Until
1: someone showed me Cody Rhodes torn, torn, torn pack. So I, I, all I'm saying, Matt, is that if you stay with this, we will get to the David Arquette stuff sooner than later. I mean, he's on the next show. He is on the next show. So, uh, so it's, it's, or, it's
0: <laughs> a, only uphill from here.
1: Final honest review, Matt, on our five star scale, what do you give the April 10th, 2000 episode of Nitro? three and a half stars okay okay for the when it comes to the whole experience
0: there are segments there are segments of the show they get like well what is your what is your
1: quality of the show and what's your quality enjoyment
0: quality enjoyment is three and a half
1: okay my quality Quality enjoyment is is also probably like a three and a half yeah
0: Quality of the show taken purely objectively with zero content. Like if I was just review, it's like a it's like a two. I would give it like maybe 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 like a one point five. Uh, yeah,
1: I would give it a one point five.
0: I will give it a one seven five as like a nice <laughs> compromise. A very a very a very uh uh Meltzer review 1.75 1. stars.
1: Yeah, I uh. I'm curious to see how this changes over time, what stuff we can unearth, what backstage drama becomes evident, yeah, uh, on screen, and just as we relive this, uh, I'm really excited to go through arguably the most tumultuous time in the history of WCW. And Matt, I'm glad you're along for the ride with me.
0: I just want to, I just want to find out how we get to may 15th 2000s episode where hulk Hogan and kevin nash tried to annihilate the new blood well we're gonna I'm get ready. there matt I'm, I'm ready for this especially because one of these says when a movie star enters the fray and if and you want next... to be our
1: biggest fan please we encourage you to message us with the code it's a what shoot, king brother. no we gotta save that one for closer to time okay it's a work shoot brother to work shoot brother if you brother. didn't get that the first second or you, matt you know <laughs> what shop should have really that
0: yeah what should he have learned when
1: he did that scissors comment with sid he ran it back a second time <laughs> yeah two times but he didn't run it back a third time Matt. Third. and i tell you if he ran it back a fourth time well it would have worked you know why bud why's that because the fourth Times the charm, good well, girl, night, good night.